From the studios of Fractal Recording, this is The Mystic Show, episode 127. Yes, hello everyone. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, your host. I'm happy you're able to join me. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditation and all those unseen, otherworldly things that are so important in our lives. They're the most important thing. I think that's not even debatable. Um, so we we put out new episodes every Friday morning, except for this Friday, which we're a little bit late because I was out of town. And this is actually the first episode where I've interviewed someone on location. I'll tell you about that in a second. You can hear our show as a podcast in iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And our website is themysticshow.net. And the cool thing about the website is that you can sign up for our behind-the-scenes email list which is a weekly email I send out. You get behind-the-scenes information. But you also get to download this really cool audio project I did called Relax with Rumi. I took relaxing music and I read selected Rumi quotes over it, and it came out really well. Um, Quick thanks to Pause Your Life for their support, pauseyourlife.org. Actually, the spring retreat for Pause Your Life is next weekend. So we got, I think, 10 people, 12 people. It's going to be great. We do retreats. Again, pause your life. And the plan for this episode, like I mentioned, I was on location and I recorded an interview and my guest was Franny Rose. She's an author and a spiritual teacher. Her book is brand new. It's called The Invitation, Uncovering God's Longing to Be Heard. And um, I haven't read it yet because it just came out and um, her publicist, Susan, sent me a copy. It should arrive any day. Uh, But we had a nice chat. Um, By the way, her organization is called One Simple Voice and they provide programs and retreats. She has a remarkable journey from basically near death through a severe illness uh, to enlightenment or awakening. It's a wonderful story, and the interview is, is really nice. It Very serendipitously, I met up with her in Colorado Springs, and use that word in a sentence today, serendipitously. Um, we met in her office, and I we're going to start the interview um, because I kind of got there, and I was setting up my mic, and we started chatting, And then I just hit record right in the middle as she was answering a question. It was before we really started. But I had just asked her uh, this question. Do you come up against resistance when you talk about having heard the voice of God 
and or you talk about teaching other people to hear the voice of God for themselves. You know, do you come up resistance from anyone when you talk about those things? And then she she answered, so let's cut right to the tape. Here's my interview with Franny Rose. I come up against some resistance, yes, from traditional um from traditional religion people who are who are very um, set in the old ways of doing things, um, I come up against that. And, you know, even in the Catholic faith, the mystics are very old. I mean, that's what the faith is really all about. So St. Teresa, St. John of the Cross, St. Catherine, St. Francis, we're all mystics. And that's sort of forgotten. It has been sort of put on the back burner. Um, they're up on the stained glass windows when you go into a church, but most people think they can't be like them, you know, that they're just exceptional and the mystical life can't happen to them. And one of the things that God has taught me is that the mystical life can happen to anyone. It's just an opening an opening that you have to have the space to find. And if you have that space and something happens to clear your life a little bit, it's possible. It's possible for you. If you wish for that, it's possible for you. But we're also filled. There isn't the space for it. We're definitely going to get into your whole story, but would you say all the years that you spent with your illness, because you were mostly in bed for many years, right? Would you say that that for you was like an emptying process? You know, it wasn't in the beginning. It wasn't until the 17th year. In the 17th year, I realized no matter how much I thought, no matter how many doctors I saw, no matter what I, in, I researched on the internet, no matter what I did, I wasn't getting the answer. It was like I was going around in circles. I call it the mind prison. You know, just running around, chewing on mind candy all the time. Until finally, when I knew I did not have the answer, and I knew I had to come up with a different choice. I, I made the choice between staying in bed forever, um, suicide, or surrender. And once I made that choice, and I chose to surrender, and that was a hard choice. I mean, I remember the curtains moving, I remember hearing children on the street playing, everyone having a fun time outside doing things, and I was stuck in bed, and my kids were grown by then, and uh, my husband hadn't come home from work because he had a meeting, and I remember just lying there thinking, everybody's gone on, and I'm still here. So what do I do? And God was gone to me. I, I felt abandoned by God. I felt like if there's a God, he doesn't know where I am because he's not helping me. And so I made the choice. I decided, okay, I'm just going to give up. You know, just give up. I'm not going to kill myself. I'm just going to give up and I'm going to give it up to, if there's a God, give it up to that. And I did. 
And then there was space because your mind can't do any work when you give up. It stops dead in its tracks. There's nothing to go around in your head anymore. All of a sudden, you smell things, you see things, you feel things that you didn't have the space to feel and, and see and experience before. And with that surrender came an opening. And the opening was a doctor who, who wanted to see me, who, hadn't, who I had been in touch with, but couldn't see me because I was on a waiting list for a really long time called and wanted to see me, sent me to another doctor who sent me to another one, and they finally figured out what was wrong with me. And Which was? Systemic mastocytosis. Which means? Gosh, <laughs> I wish I could say it in a few words, but it's just too many of the cells that we call mast cells, M-A-S-T cells, and um, they cause pretty much they get upset really easily, these cells, and, and when they degranulate, they cause a drug-like drug kind of state where you really can't do what you need to do. I wasn't able really to think, and I wasn't really able to remember a lot of things. I was able to draw, but I was able to write poetry that I didn't understand. But now that I look at that poetry, I understand it 100%. Really? I was already entering into a realm that I didn't have any idea what that was. And the drawings that I did at that time were prophetic. They were, speak they were pictures of churches. And I was a Jewish girl. There's no way I'd be drawing a church. And so, you know, now I'm working in those very same churches. And I'm, you know, now I am able to see that that time wasn't downtime. That time was an incredible time that, that God worked inside me. So I have like 4,000 questions, uh, but I want to step back. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to when um, your illness just started many years ago. Tell us how it started and what toll it took on you, and then also describe all the time that you spent, you know, you know, were you really in bed the whole time? Okay. You want me to start from that, or do you want me to start from... <laughs> yeah, go back. Go back? Okay. Um, well, I was a speech and language pathologist, and I worked with stroke patients and head injury patients. I was in my own business. It was at the prime of my life, you know, I think I was 32, um, and, my, and I'm, my business was going well. I had two small children. I loved my life. And over a period of time, I just found that I couldn't get out of bed. And um, I started feeling sick, you know, the way most people do when they have the flu and stuff. And I just couldn't get out of my bed. Um, Went to see many doctors. First doctor said it was this, gave me some antibiotics, um, did some blood work, it was all fine, took me to another doctor, the next doctor, you know the story. Five minutes in a doctor's office, no one knows what's wrong with you. And I spent many years that way. Five years turned into 10 years. 10 years turned into 15 years. And my kids were grown up. I missed all those years with them. 
they would come home from school. We would watch Star Trek from my bedside. And my husband would come home and make dinner. And I was sort of, you know, being caregiven, you know. Um, I could get out of bed. I could do some things. I could go to short little things that my kids did, but I had to get home and into bed right away. So it wasn't like I could go out and have a great time. I couldn't. There were some days I could go, go outside and, and watch them play, you know, games in the backyard. And there were other days that I couldn't get out of bed. There was just nothing I could do. So. And did it progressively get worse? Over time, it got worse. Um, there were more symptoms, more organ systems sort of, sort of got involved. And I sort of felt like I was going to die. I thought I was going to die, but no one around me knew what it was, so they didn't know. There's a certain kind of emotional state you get into when you know you're going to die. Um, there's like a feeling of impending doom. And I learned later that's part of my disease. Um, when you are starting to react, you can actually go into shock. And that impending doom is part of, you know, going into shock. So some, I, I nearly did go into shock many times. And um, I just didn't know if that's what was happening. So it, it was getting worse. And then, then there came a time when you contemplated suicide. Tell me about that. Well, that was the day that um, I remember it was a summer, a summer day, and it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I was lying in bed, and I remember the light on the curtains. I remember trying to watch the curtains dance because you run out of stuff to, to do when you're lying there. And I remember hearing the kids outside playing and having such fun. Not my kids, but kids other kids outside and I remember I remember feeling really bad that my kids I couldn't play with my kids they were all grown up already I knew that it was an ending I had this feeling and you just do have the feeling um, that this was an ending but what I didn't know is that it was a new beginning because every ending is a new beginning so in essence, my choice was going to be the ending and the beginning. And I knew I had to try to surrender first before I decided to let myself, you know, commit suicide. I had to, I had to give, give it up to, if there was a God, I had to do that. I owed it to my kids, I owed it to my husband, and I wasn't depressed. Far from what the doctors would tell me. You know, oh, yeah, you're depressed. That's what's wrong with you. And it wasn't that at all. So that was when I decided to give up. And giving up meant letting go and letting God take care of me. And what specifically were you letting go of? I was letting go of the tedious work t to try to get well. Because whether or not you realize it, when you're sick for so long, there's a tremendous responsibility on you to try to get well. People give up, people abandon you, um, people go on with their lives. And I couldn't, I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't go on with my life. So I had to be the one to somehow try to figure this thing out. I had to do it to prove to the world that I wasn't just depressed. 
I had to do it because I wanted a life. I wanted a new beginning. But never in the 17th year did I think that it was going to be a new beginning. I mean, I thought what was going to happen was what always happened. And I would do it. I always did lay there. You know, I never envisioned what was coming next. Never. Were there people around you that um, that gave up and abandoned you? Yes, um, my extended family did. Um, a lot of my friends. Um, one of my friends was honest enough later to tell me that it was all too real to her, that by being with me reminded her that something like this could happen to her. And she just didn't want to be in that situation. And I really appreciated hearing that because then I didn't personalize the fact that she was gone for, for so long. I knew it was more about her than it was about me. Okay, so you, you, you're giving up and you feel this openness. And um, tell me about the first like minute that you really felt different. Okay. Well, it didn't happen so fast that I felt different. I mean, I got the call from the doctor, and that doctor led me to another doctor who led me to another doctor who had um, medication to give me. I, there was no cure, but there was a treatment. And then I began to walk. I wanted out of there. <laughs> and I started to walk like I had never walked before. I mean, I looked at every single detail I could see. The colors just came flashing at me. Um, the life, um, the life in the air I breathed. I could smell it all. I could, the fragrance of life I could, I could smell. And, um, and seeing the light in the eyes of the creatures out there. And there's so many creatures in Colorado. I mean, we have deer, we have um, bears, we have incredible fun creatures like raccoons and all kinds of things. And you, when you take a walk, you run into these things. I've run into all of them. And I would walk and I'd look at the light in their eyes and the light in their eyes touched the light in my eyes and something happened inside me that I can't even describe. I just knew that the God within them and I knew the God within me. Um, the beauty that I saw was so different than the kind of life I had lived before. You know, I was rushing from here to there, trying to do my job, take care of my kids, and all that stuff before. I'd never even had the chance to look into a raccoon's eyes. I mean, you know, I never had the chance to look up at the sky and feel the space within, space in the sky connecting with the space inside me. There was so much space. And there was so much emptiness. And I think that's the key, the emptiness. Because the whole world fears emptiness. They fear it more than anything. When someone passes away, we fear the emptiness they leave. And so we fill it all, you know, with whatever we can. And I didn't want to fill that emptiness. I wanted, I wanted to see what came out of it which was different, the inverse of what we normally do. And I later learned on my journey that with God, it's always the inverse 
of what we would normally think or do. And so I learned about that inverse thinking. I learned that from nothing comes something. And I wanted to see what kind of something came from that nothing. I had the time, I had the space, and I had the wish. Nice. And at what point did, I mean, did you know, did you consider that the this type of uh, paradigm shift was a spiritual change, or, or was there a time when it became something spiritual? That's a really good question, and no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, you know, I was walking into wonder, okay? It, w- it was as if, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, when the house falls down and Dorothy walks out into Munchkin Land and everything is full of color, I walked out into a world full of color. I was so distracted by that for so long that I wasn't thinking about what was happening to me until one day I remember exactly where I stood and I was walking and I realized, wait a minute, I've lost everything. I've lost my career because it was a science field and I, I couldn't, I didn't want to update myself and fill myself with all that. I lost, my kids were grown up, so being a mom was different. I lost my relationship with my husband the way it was. I would have to build a new relationship with him. And I wondered, who am I? If I've lost all these things, if I'm not a mother, if I'm not a wife, if I'm not a professional, who am I? And I heard a voice tell me, whoever you wish to be, Franny Rose. And that voice started to teach me who I was. And it wasn't about what I was. It was about who I was. I was goodness, I was love, I was kindness, I was gratitude, I was generosity, I was compassion, I was all those things. They were within me. Those things were coming from me. That would never change. No matter what happened to me, those things would always be there. And learning who I was was probably the most important gift of the whole journey. Because I realized then, no matter what, you know, your house burns down, you lose people in your life, um, you lose your job, whatever it is to destroy what you think you are, never destroys who you are. So tell me about hearing the voice, um, you know, because people I'm sure want to know, yeah, and maybe we should drink some of our tea that, that you made for us and we still haven't <laughs> tasted. <laughs> I started to hear the voice when I started walking. Um, At first, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. Now we're going to have a a different sort of problem. (laughs) You know, maybe I'm starting to hear voices, and um, maybe that's the residual or or the, the fallout from being in bed for so long. But the voice was kind, and the voice was gentle, and the voice taught me things that I had never known before. And the voice would tell me to go back to my house and I should pick up such and such a book that's on the shelf. And it, and it would tell me what was in that book and I had never read it, um, including the New Testament, which 
I was Jewish. And so the New Testament was not a book I read. So the voice actually told, gave you information that was in the New, New Testament, Testament, which you had never even read? No, because my faith kind of stopped. You know, um, we didn't really talk about what happened in the New Testament in the Jewish faith. Um, it's the Old Testament, so I had never read it. And I picked it up, and the voice was telling me the same things that I was reading. And that kind of jarred me a lot, and I started wondering, what am I doing? It did the same thing with, with Buddhist texts, and um, it did the same thing with Sufi texts, and it led me to different poets, and I started reading them. And all the feelings that the poets were experiencing with God were the things that I was starting to experience with God. So it's like it always was synchronous to where I was. And it was just an incredible revelation every time it told me to do things. It would also sit with me and I would ask questions and the voice would answer. And after a while, I started to wonder who it was. And I asked it. When I was ready, I asked it. And it said, I am, I have always been, and I always will be. And I knew who that was. And from that point on, my journey was with God. And I continued to ask questions, continued to get answers. One day I was standing on the bridge with so much gratitude, and I said, what can I do for you, God? What can I do for you? And he said, what do you wish for, Franny Rose? And I said, I wish to help you create peace in the world. And he said, then teach them to hear me. And I didn't know anything about how that was gonna come about. I had no, there was nobody in my life but my husband and my children. And before too long, a man came to my house to fix a thermostat. And that man happened to be on the board of directors of a church that I walked through the garden of every day, just right down the block from my house. And they needed somebody to teach their congregation how to hear God. They were interested in what it was that I was to do. And I started teaching. And the way everything that has happened and followed from that point on, I could never make that happen. There are just too many incredible things that have happened. So I want to ask you about some of your realizations, some of your spiritual truths that you uh, were given by this voice or God, or um, maybe some, some teaching style elements. Like, what, what have you learned about spirituality or about human life from this voice? That everyone's searching. You know, we're all, everyone's a seeker. Seeking and seeking and seeking. Many people are seeking outside themselves. Probably most people are seeking outside themselves. They spend their life really seeking. I mean, on weekends they go get new cars, they get a new house, they get a new degree, they get more education. They're seeking and seeking and seeking for, for things that are outside themselves. Um, 
I know so many wealthy people that do wonderful things and help others. And I also know some wealthy people who continually seek outside themselves to get a bigger house, a bigger car. And what it speaks to is that they're seeking, they're seeking outside themselves for something that they're wishing for inside themselves. There's a longing that we all have. That longing is to be completed, and it's to be completed by God. And I don't mean this in terms of any specific religion and faith. It's true for all of us. And so once we become finders instead of seekers, there's a part of us that relaxes and moves into that because it's infinite inside, just like the seeking was infinite outside. What would you say you have achieved spiritually? I hope nothing. <laughs> Achievement denotes that I have taken what God has taught me and used it for a sense of self. It's all been God. I haven't achieved anything other than um, being able to get out of my bed and to do something that's meaningful to me in my life. When I say it like that, I just hope it doesn't turn people the wrong way. Achievement is, is really just, when we try to achieve things, we, we try to get a sense of self from having done them or having completed them. Right. I often feel that um, in spirituality, you know, becoming less or becoming more empty and open, uh, it, it, that could be considered sort of an achievement or growth or evolution, but the, the more you achieve in that direction, the less there is of your, your self, you know, your smaller self, your selfish self. You know, I s if you take that, becoming open and empty as an achievement, then you're not empty anymore. You're full of your achievement. There's, you have, to, you have to be able to take that emptiness and say, I don't want to be something. That's not what I'm learning about, being something. I want to do what it is that I'm being led to do. And when you're being led, you're being led by a higher power, by God, if you believe in God. And that's who's doing it. So how would someone know if they're moving in the right direction in spirituality? Well, there's joy. There's great joy. Everything you do is with great joy. I mean, there are days I come into work and, and I look up at the sky and I sing walking into my office because, and I have the worst voice, <laughs> um, because, because there's joy in, in, in walking into the building. There's joy in coming down the halls. There's joy in seeing the light in the eyes of the people that I, I meet in the halls. There's joy in coming into my office and feeling peaceful. There's joy in sitting with people and, and listening to what God said to them. So there's great joy, and the joy doesn't go away. There are times when the false self or the ego gets 
on a roll, and that's when the joy might sort of waver, but you don't like that feeling very much, and you get yourself back to where you were before because it's uncomfortable to be the way you used to be. How would you get yourself back in that in the scenario like that? Take a long walk, get into some space so that the space outside you connects with the space inside you. Um, cancel things if you can. It's like a spiritual health day. You know, we we take a day off because we're sick. Our bodies are sick, but sometimes our spirits are ailing too, and. And we really sort of need to do what we, what we can do to bring ourselves back, listen to music, because heart connects with heart, um, read poetry, um, find something beautiful, because the mind doesn't know what to do with beauty. Only the heart does. The mind just looks at it and tries to make it different, you know, tries to perfect it. The heart accepts it just the way it is. And so those are heart days that you have to get yourself back in line with. And that's part of my job to have to do that because I can't help anybody unless I'm keeping myself, you know, in shape. So when you, you know, work with other people on how to hear the voice, mm -hmm. the voice is coming from inside themselves, right? Right. The voice of God is always talking. But his, his voice is so soft, and the voice of the mind is so loud that we listen to the voice of the mind. We ignore the voice of the heart. It's, it's caught up in the background static of your life. You can't decipher it. You can't pull it out unless you're able to empty enough, and then you hear it. So part of what we do when we're first starting out listening to God is learning how to get empty learning how to empty everything in your mind and put it down in a journal. Because when you write it down, the mind lets go of it. It doesn't say, it's not flying around there. And the mind says, you have to pay attention to this. You have to pay attention. You can put it down in a journal and it lets go. And as the mind starts to let go, there's space. And from that space and from that silence, because silence is space, you can start to listen. And usually we listen, we start by asking, God, are you there? And with time and being able to clear that space, almost everybody hears an answer. I would imagine there's a lot of people who think they're hearing the voice of God, but maybe it's just the voice, you know, their ego voice inside their head, um, you know, meditation is a way to regulate your mind and you know most people's minds are running wild and they can't stop it so there seems to be this issue of if you're hearing if you're really hearing the voice of god or if you're just kind of your mind is pretending yeah minds don't pretend um but if you're really hearing the voice of god god speaks in gentle kind loving ways and our minds don't do that our minds are critical they speak negatively. They look for what's wrong in a situation. That's why humanity is not happy as a whole, because the mind is always looking for the imperfection, and the heart and God are always right there showing us 
the perfection. But what we focus on expands, so we focus on the imperfections and we're never happy. Um, when we hear the voice of God, we know it because there's this peace that envelops you. You just, your heart starts to slow. It isn't a question of what you're thinking about it. It's a question about what you're feeling when you hear it. It's a feeling thing when you hear it. It's like nothing that you usually feel. Unless you're a very peaceful person, it's very different. So I, I talk a lot on The Mystic Show about the heart and the mind. So, And you're also saying the heart and spirituality and my spiritual guide also says the heart is the seat of divinity. So how do you connect the heart and spirituality? Well, the way God taught it to me was that we were born a spark of God. And so that spark of God is inside us. And what happens as we grow older is we grow a true self, which has the seeds of the Spirit in it. Some of the things I mentioned to you earlier, goodness, love, kindness, gratitude, generosity, freedom, um, and so many more. They're all beautiful things. Um, those seeds were planted inside us, okay? If you look at it like a kiwi fruit, for example, and you cut it open, you see that there's a connection to the center or, or, or the tree branch. Around it are all these seeds, okay? And, it, and then around that, is pulp, which I, I call the mind prison, okay, which kind of keeps the seeds in place, if you know what I mean, which the mind does to us. It keeps, keeps everything in place. Um, anyway, God is within us. So in other words, we're not me. We're we. We're always we. What happened to us is we were always we from the time of birth. And what we did through our conditioning is we walked away from that. Kind of like the original sin, if you, if you know what that is, you know? Well, the concept, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, the concept of original sin, which I've, yeah, I, the way it's taught, I don't agree with, but. Yeah, the way it's taught is, is sometimes distorted. But the truth is that Eve and Adam chose not to listen to God, which is what we do. We stopped listening to that voice. You see children, you know they're hearing God. You know they walk in wonder, just like I did when I started to hear God. And then we walked away from that. We started to look for what's outside. What, what can we get our hands on? What can we seek outside ourselves? Totally forgetting about where we were and what we heard and the goodness of that. We have to do that in our lives, though, to know that we can walk back because God gives us the freedom to choose him freely and the freedom means go seek go ahead and if you come back welcome to a mystical life all right let's take a quick breath here <sighs> and remind you that you're listening to my interview with Franny Rose She's an author and a spiritual teacher. Her book is called The Invitation, Uncovering God's Longing to Be Heard. And her organization is called One Simple Voice. They do, they provide programs and retreats. 
And if you want to help support The Mystic Show, you can do one of a few things. You can share each episode on your social media, like your Facebook and your Twitter. You can give the show a rating or a review, oh my goodness, a review in iTunes or on Stitcher. Um, Or you can contribute a dollar or two per episode or three. Uh, We have a really cool web uh, presence on Patreon. It's a platform where you can uh, just donate a a dollar or two per episode to support the show, to support all the costs involved with making the show. So that's it. Take a breath. And let's get back to our interview with Franny Rose. So would you call what happened to you, would you call that, um, were you enlightened or awakened? I was all of that. I would say I was all of that. I was awakened. I was enlightened. Um, Some of the experiences were like the Buddhist term Satori. Um, It was... It was an incredible, incredible time beyond words. I remember I came home one day from my walk, and I was in the backyard, and there was a heart-shaped hole in in the lawn in the back. And I took pebbles, and I put it all around, and, and there was this heart. And I was outside laughing and giggling. My husband came out there, and, you know, after... Everything he'd been through, he was kind of wondering, what is wrong with Franny? And he said, what's, what's going on? And I said, God's put hearts in my yard. And I know it sounds kind of silly right now, but at the time, it was actually really beautiful. And he said, what are you, what are you into? What are you doing? And then he said to me, I want what you have. I want to be as joyous about my life as you are about yours. And so... He said, teach them to hear me. Did you teach him? I taught, I taught him. Um, my family is so different now. Um, in the mornings, I wake up um, to journal and to hear God's voice, and so does he. And we sit in the same room together, um, and when we're done, um, we sit and we share what we heard. Um, my, my children all hear God's voice, and when they come into town, we all sit in the, in the room together and, and listen, and we all share what we've heard. And it's amazing, but it's all the same things. It's amazing. What would you, right now, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself, you know, a decade ago when you were in bed? What message would you have for yourself? That's, that's a really good question, too. I think the message is that when you think it's over, when you think things are at the absolute worst place they can be, that it's possible that it could turn around in a heartbeat and you can live an extraordinary life. And that's a miracle, but it happens. And why not be that miracle? I believe that faith is the secret to living an extraordinary life. And the faith doesn't have to be a specific faith, a, f- a specific religion. It's just the faith in God. But do you think your yourself in bed 10 years ago would have would have listened to that advice or what would you have thought about it? Not until I was at the place where I was ready to give up. 
I think up until that point, I thought I could do it. And that was my ego talking. I was totally an ego all that time, thinking that I could get a sense of self from finding the answer. You know, I've got to bring that to completion. I've got to show them. Or it went the other way, too. The ego became a victim. You know, poor me. I'm lying here in my bed. I had no sense of what my heart was doing during those times because I was so filled up with thoughts about how bad it was or how to get out of it. It wasn't until I surrendered or I gave up. And, and society tells us we don't do that. We're conditioned that that is the lazy way. And again, that's the inverse of what God tells us. Um, you can give up. When you, don't, when you can't do it, give it to me. And if we're conditioned to never give up, then how do we ever find God? Yeah, it's a very American and Western culture paradigm that we have to do everything ourselves. Uh, because definitely in the East, you know, I've been to India many times, and it's a different way of life. They, God is in their everyday lives, you know, for the most part. Um, so would you say that someone has to go through a lot of pain or maybe even hit rock bottom to finally wake up? Because if if you would not have listened to your own advice back then, you know, you and I are similar in that we're out there in the world right now trying to help people awaken and and, and grow somehow. Um, but is it so how, how to get past the ego or do we just have to wait for these people to go through enough pain to, to come around? Again, it's the seeking, you know, if you seek enough outside yourself until you're satisfied that you've done all you can, you're not ready to empty because emptiness is, is lack. I mean, something's not there. And that's something you want to be there because you want to get a sense of self from what's there. So when you've kind of lost your sense of self, it's easier then. I think it's almost easier for someone like me to wake up because I didn't have a choice than it is for someone who does. I say that to my students a lot of the time, you know, to make the choice to wake up when you have everything that you could possibly want to seek for out there is a really, really hard thing to do. But do you have to reach rock bottom? I don't think so. If somebody comes into your life at the right time, you know, like a ripe piece of fruit and helps you to ripen, then it can happen. If I had heard somebody talking like I'm talking, to you today while I was in bed. Who knows what would have happened, but I didn't, so. What's been uh, the most surprising part of your journey? I think the most surprising part of my journey is that I'm still joyous, because in the world of man, everything's transient. You know, you're happy one day and sad the next, but this is, this is an eternal feeling. It doesn't go away stays with me every day and every day I wake up and I can't wait to see what my life is going to give me 
So that, I think, is the biggest thing. And what what meaning does your journey have to you? Like, do you see like yourself in a bigger picture, like you're on a mission now, or? No, I, I'm not on a mission, so to speak. Um, I just go, go with the flow of where God is taking me, and I never know where that is. And that's scary to the human mind. People want to know what the unknown is. But you kind of learn how to live with it, and it becomes a field to run in. It becomes an exciting place to be. Um, every day can bring you a new possibility. Every day has new potential. How do you personally handle going into the unknown, or, or how do you manage that? I don't go into it alone. I go into it with God. And then I'm, I'm not afraid anymore. Um, I just figure, what's he going to show me now? And are there any fears left inside of Franny Rose? Well, I can't, I wouldn't be human if I didn't say that sometimes the fear of winding back up in bed doesn't erupt um, because I'm not cured. Um, but I do know that the life I've lived since I've been better is better than any of my life before. And if I had to do it all over again, I would do it in a heartbeat because of what I've learned and because of how joyous I've become. Did you earlier in life or even in your, your upbringing in childhood and, and early adulthood, did you ever have the con a concept of awakening or enlightenment? or and, and did you think it would be a certain way? And when it actually happened to you, was it the same or different? You know, I've since this has all happened to me, I've read books and I've tried to determine whether it's the way that they said. You know, St. Teresa... Um, St. John of the Cross, um, even Thomas Aquinas, and these are Catholic mystics, they never really talked about the experience of what this feels like. People say, this happened to me, and then I'm this way. But the experience is, is like, a, the way I can describe it is a rose that starts to grow and and it blossoms. And it not only blossoms once, but then it grows another sprout and it, and it blossoms again. And pretty soon there's a whole bush of blossoms and the blossoms aren't just little blossoms, they're, they're huge blossoms. And it just feels like blossoming. That's what it feels like. Infinitely blossoming. Nice. So Franny, just give us a quick overview of your book. Well, my book is really the story of what happened to me from the time I was in bed, although there's not a lot of time spent on that, to where it led me to do what I'm doing today. In other words, from hearing God's voice, how my life changed, and how it felt to me all the way through. In other words, it was sort of a mystical experience, but it's described um, in terms of feelings and how a mystical experience feels. Then the second part of the book is the things that God taught me. I have several teachings in, in the second half of the book, and so I, I share those. And what, what will the reader get uh, from reading your book? Incredible hope, 
uh, feeling of, of incredible potential, knowing that it's possible for them. I mean, I was, I wasn't anybody special. I was just like everybody else. And I believe and I know that anybody, anybody could experience this. And you also started an organization called One Simple Voice. Uh, tell us about that. One Simple Voice is a nonprofit organization that is based upon this journey. And God's words teach them to hear me. He said to me also, they speak of me but do not know me. They speak of me without the space in their hearts to listen. And so I began teaching people and um, I started to meet more people and I, I met a, a nun and her, her name was Sister Nancy and, and I went into her to ask her if she knew of anybody who's ever heard God's voice. And she said to me, no, and I asked her, do you hear God's voice? And she said, no. And sure enough, blurted right out of my mouth, do you want to hear God's voice? And she said, yes. And so I began teaching her. Um, I ran into um, a retired bishop at a dinner. Um, my legs just picked me up. I didn't know, I mean, a Jewish girl doesn't even know what a bishop is. I just ran up to him, said, can I see you? And he said, sure. He thought he was going to spiritually direct me. I asked him, has he ever heard God's voice? And he said, no. And he wasn't sure that he wanted to. And I said, would you like to? And he had to think about it for a while, but he said yes. So I taught him how to hear God's voice. And that just began what the ministry became with the two of them and me. And now Sister Nancy is um, retiring and I'm working with Bishop Hannafin and another man, Ed Gaffney, and we do retreats um, five or six a year, and we do um, presentations all over, and we work individually with people, teaching them how to hear God's voice, and 100% of the people do. Really? Mm -hmm. So when, when you're asking a bishop and presumably a lot of different people, have you ever heard God's voice? And they say no. Do you ever start to think that, you know, a lot of the leaders in society, maybe they're not so uh, rooted or, or secure in their own spirituality, in their own heart? Maybe they are just a little more running on their ego. Um, does that ever come to mind? Or do you, I, I'm, I'm sort of predicting your answer here. Um, you're going to say that you just have to focus on yourself and not worry about society? No, actually, I was going to say we're all God's children. And in truth, nobody is any more than anybody else. The journey inward is one that takes space and takes commitment. And the journey outward is so tempting. Bishops, priests, pastors of churches are all tempted by the same things that everyone else is. They're just human beings, just like us. I think we make the assumption that they know the heart journey and they're trained mostly in the mind journey, you know, theology and, and stuff like that. 
and and the more you know, the more knowledge you keep going around in that place, the less space you have to really feel it. Well, this has been awesome. Franny, do you have any, what, what do you want to leave the listeners with? Well, I, I guess I'll repeat that faith is the secret to living an extraordinary life. You know, if you're a cancer patient and you're given the odds, let's say 5% of the people make it, those 5% are people who have the greatest of faith. You can be that 5%. You don't have to be the 95% that don't. So go inward, try to listen, wake up in the morning early, empty your mind and ask God some questions. You never know, you might hear something. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Franny Rose. She's the author of The Invitation, Uncovering God's Longing to Be Heard. And I'm happy you listened to The Mystic Show. We're here every week, and uh, we love talking about these topics. So hopefully you can reflect on this and maybe, maybe implement some of these things in your life. Uh, what, a, what a message about surrender, though, right? Wow. So until next time... As you move through your weekend and your week, remember, keep shining.